The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Geeks, and welcome to another edition of Wizards Half. This is mini-episode 63.5. These are the episodes where we get into all the details we didn't have time for on the main episode. So we had a really fun conversation, Michael and I, just getting back in the saddle again. Really enjoyed issue 63. I just felt like there was a lot of fodder for conversation. And uh, of course, we want to remind you, we are still in the midst of the Halloween season. So if you are needing some last-minute costume ideas, or at the very least just some accessories or something to go with it, uh, you can go to HalloweenCostumes.com and do all your shopping there. The official sponsor of the Retro Network this Halloween season, but specifically, if you want to get 20% off that order, make sure you go to TheRetroNetwork.com find the HalloweenCostumes.com banner, click it, and you'll automatically get 20% off your order. So, just wanted to give you that little tip, but now, let's get into Cap's Kooky Contests. All right, our first contest here, Top Cow Comics presents the Make Your Own Witchblade Contest. So one day, police detective Sarah Pizzini is minding her own business when she gets shot up by the mob. Bleeding to death, she reaches for something, anything that can save her, she reaches for the Witchblade. Yeah, that Witchblade. It's a nifty mystical gauntlet that can only be worn by one person in each generation, and Sarah's the bearer for this era. But maybe if you could design a Witchblade of your own, you'll get the next best thing to the glove itself. Original Witchblade. Blade art. How to play. Simple. Design your own Witchblade glove, take a look at this original and see how you could spiff it up and personalize it. Come up with an original and cool design, cause winners will be chosen based on quality and creativity, and you could win these witchy prizes. Grand prize? One reader who turns in the best Witchblade will receive a Michael Turner D-Tron piece of original Witchblade art and have their glove shown in a future issue of Witchblade. And since we're so darn nice, we'll even kick in a Witchblade trade paperback box set autographed by the creator team of David Wall, Christina Z, Michael Turner, and D-Tron. Runner-up, 10 readers with cool gloves will each receive a Witchblade trade paperback box set autographed by the creative team of David Wall, Christina Z, Michael Turner, and D-Tron. This contest is sponsored by Top Cow Comics, makers of fine comics and dairy products, because they could not resist that. So yeah, it's pretty interesting here, the idea of creating your own Witchblade. You know, I'm a big fan of this manga and uh, anime series called The Giver, and the Witchblade in a lot of ways looks like the Giver unit and a little bit of the Giver armor, uh, so I kind of wonder how much uh, it may have inspired the idea of the Witchblade. Just curious. Anybody want to fess up over there, Top Cow? But here we go. Stuff lawyers make us print. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Top Cow Productions, and their immediate families, or any lactose intolerance. Again with the dairy. Break out the lactate. Okay. Offer void where prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purposes and rules hereof. Christina Z? Detron? What the hell kind of names are these? Are these people afraid of full names? <laughs> I think Detron is a pretty fantastic pen name. Christina Z also sounds like it could be some sort of a patient. Zero. All right, on to the next contest here. Fleer Skybox International presents the Many Faces of Wolverine contest. The Fleer Ultra X-Men Wolverine trading card set will be out soon, and it ain't no ordinary set. It's the first trading card set in history to have all new painted art on the front and an original penciled comic book story on the back. That's like getting two great products in one. With great artists like Boris Vallejo, Julie Bell, Joe Gisco, Mark Sasso, and Mark Teixeira, you can't go wrong. How to play? Want a chance? to get some? Want a chance to get some what? I guess the cards. Okay, we know that you know Wolvie, but just how well do you know the many faces of Wolverine? Check out the five Wolverine images here and put them in their proper chronological order based on which image of Wolvie appeared in comics first. For example, if you think Wolvie picture B came first, then that's number one. If you think D came second, then that's number two. You get it. Now do it right and win some great prizes. Grand prize, one lucky winner will get the complete set of Fleer Ultra X-Men Wolverine trading cards. That's the 
Magic Card Basic Set, the nine Marvel FX Chase Cards, and the ultra-rare Wolverine Mirage Card. And just because we're feeling warm and fuzzy, we'll even kick in two Wolverine Uncut Sheets. Ooh. Second prize, five lucky winners will each get a complete set of Fleer Ultra X-Men Wolverine with Chase Cards. Humana, humana, humana. Third prize, ten lucky winners will each get one box of Fleer Ultra X-Men Wolverine Cards. <laughs> Somebody was having some fun with some Pacino. Alright, this month's contest is sponsored by Fleer Skybox International. Masters of the Snicket. Alright, so here we go. The many faces of legal crap. <laughs> contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Fleer Skybox International and their immediate families, or anyone whose name rhymes with Wolverine. That means you, Traveline. What? Traveline? I... Yes? <laughs> is that a baseball player? I don't know what that is. Alright, uh, offer void, where prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purposes and rules hereof. Wendigo. Wendigo! No context. That is all. Alright, on to the next one! Serious Entertainment presents the Shed a Tear for Dawn contest. Hey, it's October. That means it's time for Dawn, Joseph Michael Lisner's greatest creation to return to her roots in Crypt of Dawn. What's that, you ask? It's an all-new Halloween-y book in which the goddess of birth herself will introduce and present a variety of stories. And if that's not enough to get you pumped about what's happening at Sirius, maybe we ought to tell you that Dawn number four just hit and Dawn number five will be hot on its heels. And if that's still not enough to get you going, maybe we ought to tell you that you can win Joseph Michael Lisner original art. Yeah, that ought to do it. So, how do I do that? It's a breeze! We want you to show us how much you want to win by shedding a tear for Dawn. Just draw the Dawn teardrop logo as seen here, and they're showing a mannequin head, and it's got the Dawn teardrop on it. Just draw a Dawn teardrop logo as seen here on your face, photograph it, and send in a picture. Winners will be chosen by random drawing. You could win! Grand prize, one reader will receive a rarity among rarities. A piece of Joseph Michael Lister original Alert! Hey! Once sold at a comic book legal defense fund benefit auction recently for over $3,000. And as if that weren't enough, we'll even toss in copies of Dawn number 4 and Dawn number 5, the fancy schmancy alternate cover editions no less, autographed by Joseph Michael Linsner, and a copy of The Crypt of Dawn autographed by Linsner. Second prize, one reader will receive those same alternate edition copies of Dawn number 4 and 5, plus a super scarce special edition copy of The Crypt of Dawn autographed by Linsner. Runner-up, 20 readers will each receive regular edition copies of Dawn number 4 and The Crypt of Dawn autographed by Joseph Michael Linsner. This contest is sponsored by Serious Entertainment, and damn it, they're, uh, serious about entertainment. Huh? Huh? <laughs> and now we have the dawn of the legal text. The contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Sirius Entertainment, and their immediate families, or Tony Orlando and Don. Wow, there is a 70s variety show reference that certainly nobody at this time was going to get. Offer void where prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purposes and rules hereof. Tie a yellow ribbon around this, Tony Orlando, you lousy-ass low-red polyester-clad lounge singer. Wow, they really uh, had to be in their bonnet over Tony Orlando? <laughs> Let's save Tony Orlando's house. Do you remember that Troy McClure joke from The Simpsons? Alright, last contest here. The Topps Company and the Brothers Hildebrandt present the Star Wars Shadows of the Empire Art Contest. Greg and Tim Hildebrandt have been known as top-light fantasy painters for decades, so you know that any project they put their talents to is going to be big. But if they're going to take an entire year out of their lives and their careers to devote to a single project, the property must be truly massive. Empire-wide. Galaxy-spanning, perhaps. Well, that's just what they did. The Brothers Hildebrandt spent an entire year creating a hundred paintings for the biggest training card set ever to hit this already other galaxy, the top Star Wars Shadows of the Empire set, and you just might be able to walk away with a piece of it. How to play? It's as easy as turning on a lightsaber. Just write a letter to Greg and Tim Hildebrandt, one page maximum, telling them what your favorite Star Wars Shadows of the Empire card is and why. Make sure you give us the card numbers so we know just which one you're talking about. And if you have an email address, send us that while you're at it, and the Hildebrands will respond. A random drawing among all entries will determine winners of these incredible prizes. Grand prize? 
prize, one lucky reader will receive a prize the Emperor himself would be proud to have, a Brothers Hildebrand original painting from the top Star Wars Shadows of the Empire card set. This painting is an 11 by 15 one-of-a-kind original used in production of the set and is valued at no less than $5,000. We'd cross the frozen wastelands of Hoth to lay our hands on this puppy. Second prize, nine readers will receive a Brothers Hildebrandt Star Wars Shadows of the Empire original pencil sketch, approximate retail value $150. Before the brothers actually put paint to canvas, they sketch out what they want a card to look like. These pencil originals are the building blocks on which the set is based. Third prize, 50 readers will receive a box of the nifty swell top Star Wars Shadows of the Empire trading cards. Approximate retail value, $55. This contest is sponsored by the Tops Company of the Brothers Hildebrandt, masters of the artistic form. Speaking of contests and competitions where you can win some nifty 90s comic swag, as of this recording, the next day, we are holding our first ever, yes, our inaugural fantasy superhero draft. It is going to be a super fun event on Zoom, so if you did not sign up, you missed out, but you can look forward to a release of that conversation both in our podcast feed and a YouTube version so that you could watch all the excitement. I won't be live for you but you can see what we were doing during that time so next year get ready because this is a super fun idea to just be able to select your favorite heroes from DC and Marvel, create a team then we all get to vote on who had the most powerful team and who walks away with a wizard prize pack so just wanted to give that another hype something for you to look forward to but hey Let's get into the next segment. So I had so much fun last time around doing the J. Scott Campbell wizard profile that I simply had to do it again. And the subject of this interview is fascinating. It is Warrior. No, not Guy Gardner. We are talking about the man formerly known as the ultimate warrior in the WWF, but he had broken off. He officially and legally changed his name to Warrior. And then he started releasing his own comics. Yes, the ultimate warrior had comic books. I remember seeing them in Walmart, and I know there was one in particular where he actually beats up like an evil Santa Claus. Like, this is out of control, crazy comic book madness from the mind of the Ultimate Warrior. So let's find out what he has to say here, because he was always so very odd in his promos and interviews. Quote, the testimonial of my life is that I was voted least likely to succeed by my high school graduating class, reveals the 37-year-old wrestling superstar turned comic creator, now known simply as warrior. Behind huge biceps and a low gruff voice, a focused and intensive mind explains, quote, my father left when I was 12 years old and my mother didn't have any self-esteem, so she instilled that in her kids too. It was only in quiet times, sitting and crying to myself that I realized that if I wanted to do anything, I was responsible for being the one to get it done. After getting his act together, the Williamsport, Indiana native made it through chiropractic school and was working out at a California gym when he was asked if he'd like to give professional wrestling a try. Hoping to make some quick cash to pay back his loans, Warrior and a friend drove down to Tennessee and competed in a small wrestling territory. Quote, we were thinking we were going to have all kinds of fun and life's going to be grand, but for the next three years, we slept on the floor and ate tuna fish out of the can. Following a number of stints in various territories, the Ultimate Warrior finally made it to the World Wrestling Federation, where he skyrocketed to stardom. Quote, the biggest highlight of my career was beating Hulk Hogan fair and square by a pinfall. One, two, three, in the middle of the ring at the Toronto Skydome at WrestleMania 6 for the heavyweight championship belt. It was the handing of the torch, so to speak. For the next few years, the Ultimate Warrior was it in the WWF, even with his sporadic absences due to personal issues. But after a three-year hiatus, he recently returned and started his own comic. As he puts it, the Ultimate Warrior is always talked about as if he walked off the pages of a comic. To get his message across, a comic book was the perfect solution. Quote, it wasn't enough anymore to go out and say to a kid, okay, just believe believe in yourself. It had to have a definition to it, which is the coming about of my true-to-life beliefs. I call it destrucity. <laughs> destrucity? This is not a word. Destrucity. Making a truce between your destiny and your reality. I went back and came up with the eight things that have influenced me in my life, and they are the disciplines of destrucity. <laughs> 
In the ongoing Warrior comic from Ultimate Creations, the Ultimate Warrior's physical body has gone into a coma, so he now must make his way through a terrain of testament and face eight physical representations of the disciplines of destrucity. November's Designs of Destrucity one-shot will be a collaboration of eight artists, each doing two-page splashes of the disciplines of the Warrior faces. Wow, this sounds very inspired by she, doesn't it? Uh, hoping to one day bring his creation to the animated front, the warrior must first, however, make it in a somewhat tumultuous market. Quote, the comic industry is in such turmoil, where there's too many knives being thrown instead of people pulling them out and putting sheaths on them. I have a message I'm really trying to express to everyone in the industry. I'm here to help out, if I can. <laughs> The Ultimate Warrior was going to save the comic book industry? Oh, a noble quest indeed. Alright, now let's get to their Q&A here with Warrior. First comic read? Probably a Batman comic. Favorite comic of all time? Pit. He likes Pit! I mean, of course he likes Pit. He probably wants to play Pit in a movie, but that's hilarious to me. Comics you read? Frank Miller's Sid City, Spawn, and Pit. Wow, so he had some pretty good taste for the time. The one person he'd like to meet? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Surprised he hadn't. Superpower you would most want? To be able to project my thoughts on the wall. So many times I get frustrated and try to express my ideas. <laughs> Again, as his promos would tell us, Hogan, get on the plane, Hogan, get on the plane. <laughs> what were you talking about? Favorite toy as a kid and as an adult. As a kid, go-karts and mini bikes. As an adult, my Harley and four-wheel drive truck. So he just like feels that need for speed. Things you collect? Over the course of the last year and a half, I've started collecting all sorts of Ultimate War your merchandise only because it's a part of my life i didn't realize how much stuff there is that's interesting so he was not being gifted any of the licensed material with his face on it favorite pastime or hobby as of late it's been reading comics favorite tv show kramer on seinfeld just Kramer. All I gotta do is see him come walking through the door of the apartment and I've lost it. He's just so funny. <laughs> Michael and the Ultimate Warrior have something in common. Last costume you wore on Halloween. It may have been the Incredible Hulk. I was probably nine. Person who would play you in a movie about yourself. I'd want someone with the physical presence like an Arnold, but with a harsh sense of humor like an Andrew Dice Clay. Warrior thinks he has the humor of Andrew Dice Clay? Huh, I guess we just never got to see that. Favorite cartoon? Mr. Magoo. <laughs> Mr. Magoo? Person you would most like to work with? Todd McFarlane. Favorite wrestling move? My flying tackle. Toughest match? The Hulk Hogan match from WrestleMania 6. If you had the power of the Beyonder, I'd make people realize that they're responsible for the rights and wrongs, their opinions, and living of their lives. They are entitled to make their own choices. Oh, the warrior has spoken! And all the little warriors out there, I hope you were listening. Wow, that was fascinating. <laughs> Alright, on to the next segment! This is a glorious season indeed, because we see the return of the top 10 heroes and villains of the month list. So they say, to mark the return of this joyous column, we're deviating from the regular, here's the top 10 hottest characters, to bring you the top 10 characters who are fairly unpleasant to look at. <laughs> Number one, Aunt May's corpse. Ooh, betcha chunks of her follow the batter when she's making Petey's wheat cakes. Even more unpleasant than that thought is this one, we gotta own up to a bad call. Back Back in Wiz number 45, we ran the top 10 heroes and villains we want to see dead, and ol' Aunt May clocked in at number one. Our mistake. Just like Superman needs his Mon Pa Kent and Batman needs his Alfred, Spidey needs his kindly adviceful Aunt May. We goofed for wanting her dead, and Marvel goofed with making her dead. What they should have done is off to MJ. Luckless sad sack Peter should not have a supermodel wife or any bratty kids. It's just not in his character. Yeah, and I don't even know where this picture of Aunt May's corpse came from, because it is ghoulish. And it, you wouldn't know it's Aunt May. It must have been like some type of dream sequence or nightmare. Number two. Arseface. In a day and age where superhero names don't even come close to matching the way a character looks, I'm Deathblade. Or maybe Shadow Fist. Or perhaps I'm Eduardo, the runny-stooled Avenger. 
there's one new character who really stands out in a crowd. Arseface. Straight from the insanely violent preacher title, Arseface was a dime a dozen stupid teenager who so swooned over Nirvana's Kurt Cobain that when he heard Cobain had put a shotgun in his mouth and blew his brains out, he tried the same. The difference being that Arseface lived but screwed up his face so bad he even makes Michael Jackson pause and say, "Ew!" And that's not just because he's over 11. <laughs> Come on. Number three, Dead Man. Whoa, looks like old Boston Brand here just caught himself in his fly. Bummer. Heck, the only thing more painful than catching your little buddy in the sawtooth denim flap of death would probably be getting shot through the heart and taking a hundred foot tumble through the air to go splat on the ground. Sound unpleasant? It gets worse. Toss in getting resurrected as a ghost along with knowing you'll never feel the touch of another human being, never share a laugh with someone you love, never hold in your hands a copy of Heroes Reborn comic. <sighs> And you've got yourself a pretty bum deal. With that little ray of sunshine story in his resume, it's no wonder Dead Man looks like a strung out hairless tapeworm filled albino Jeff Goldblum. What in the world? Oh, we don't speak ill of Jeff Goldblum around here. <laughs> All right, number four is Two-Face. We've washed half of Harvey Dent's face with ordinary soap and water and the other half with new Oxy-10 to the hundredth power. Can you tell which side is which? <laughs> not pleasant. No, sir, not at all. Anyways, old Two-Face here used to be a crack DA, Harvey Dent, until a mobster chucked some acid in his face, royally screwed up his looks, not doing such a hot job to his already shaky psyche either. Now obsessed with the number two, like robbing Gotham's second national bank on February 2nd at 2 a.m. and letting his coin make his decisions for him. That scarred side comes up and he pops a cap and you're coolie. The non-scarred side comes up and you're a hunky-dory. One thing stands out above all others. Shaving's gotta be an adventure for this guy. Wow, but for Two-Face to be up on that high on the list, I thought that was funny. Alright, number five, Scarlet Spider. Ah! Ah! Get it away! Get it away! In a mercy's name, move on to number six! Move on to number six! <laughs> I mean, Ben Riley was dead at this point. They still couldn't let it go. But number six is Modoc. Jeez, Modoc not only fell out of the ugly tree and hit every branch all the way down, but this little feller got run over by the ugly truck when he landed. Who was his agent handling what superpower he got? No, he doesn't want super strength or vulnerability. Just give him a giant potato head, shrivel up his body, and uh, let him get his ass kicked by losers. <laughs> to top that off, Modoc had the pleasure of having his throat ripped out by the Serpent Society, dying, getting reanimated by aim, getting blown up to itty bitty pieces, and well, that's the end. I didn't know Modoc was dead at this point. That's interesting. Alright, number seven, the Corinthian, which if you guys are watching Sandman on Netflix, uh, you know all about his recent incarnation. Well, what's so unpleasant about Yeah! Jeez, how disturbing would it be watching this guy floss or getting a cavity filled or just eating oatmeal as fast as he can? Created by Morpheus, read DC Sandman, to be the darkness, the embodiment of everything humanity would not confront about itself, old halitosis eyes years was flawed. When Morpheus was captured and imprisoned on Earth for all them years, the Corinthian escaped to Earth and became a notorious serial killer, inspiring others to embark on murderous crime sprees as well. Ah, uh, well, Morpheus eventually escaped to his prison and went about writing everything that went wrong in his absence, including putting the big kibosh on the Corinthian. Alright, number eight is Jonah Hex. I wonder how tough it must be scoring with chicks when you got a boiled egg for an eye. Hey, baby, wanna see me squirt some eye pus five feet into that guy's drink? Nah, probably not. Maybe he's just impresses them with the story of how he got that unsightly facial blemish. Listen, baby, I haven't gotten any since I betrayed the Indians who raised me and they stuck a pipe and hot blade in my kisser for it. So what do you say? Wanna cut me a break and go play hide the covered wagon? Nah, that'd probably get him more than a lonely night on the plains doing weird things to prairie dog holes. Come on. While we're on that subject, I'm just going to uh, share this story. So I used to work at Disneyland. I used to be a costumed character. I used to work with like the face characters, we called them, who were like the princesses, you know, the ones who weren't in giant furry heads. And so there was a gal who played Belle. And I remember being backstage with her on a break. And she was talking to one of the other princesses about how like all these guys were trying to get her into bed all the time. And she was like, I always just tell them, 
dig a hole. And it took me years to figure out what that was all about, but it was definitely the same thing uh, you would be doing to a prairie dog hole. So I was like, wow, dirty bell. All right, number nine. Hey, the big star of Werewolf by Night, Man-Thing. Yeah, okay, Man-Thing is a weak Swamp Thing ripoff, and there's yet to be a readable story with this guy in it, but you gotta give him one thing. He is what butt-ugly SOB. Here's the scoop. Ted Salas was a S.H.I.E.L.D. scientist who attempted to recreate the super soldier serum that gave us Captain America. When the nefarious group AIM tried to snare his secret recipe, a modified version of the serum, he injected the only sample of it into himself and fled into a swamp where a mystical chemical combo transformed him into a misshapen mute creature. He became the guardian of the Nexus of Realities, which just happened to be in the swamp, now pops up in about one random Marvel comic a year. Just look for the cover blurb. You won't believe this issue's guest star. (laughs) I'm really actually surprised that they were able to hold off on a giant-sized man-thing joke, but what are you gonna do? Finally, number 10, that guy's head? Oh look, somebody punched Liam Gallagher, lead singer of Oasis, through the head. Damn, and he was so talented. (laughs) Now we'll never hear more genius-inspired garbage like Champagne Supernova. What? That's not Liam? It's Kathy Lee Gifford then? No? Just some loser mobster guy that the Violator killed and later used as a hand puppet? Wow, what a letdown. For the finale, we wanted to go out with a bang, but this is what we get? Some nameless guy at the end of the Violator's arm? Talk about ending something with a whimper. Sheesh. So yeah, I I vaguely remember, I'm pretty sure that the Violator action figure, it actually had that head, right? That his hand just pushed through the mouth. Oh man, that's crazy. Well, that does it for the top 10 heroes and villains of the month that are unpleasant to look at. So that was quite a wild ride. I'm so glad this is back. I'm looking forward to future issues if they let it hang around for a little while longer. But now let's get on to our Mort of the Month. Now it's time to look at the lamest character of the month, or as we like to call him, the Mort of the Month. This time around, our Mort is Little Boy Blue and the Blue Boys. Says here, we're going to restrain ourselves from making off-color comments on Little Blue's name here. We'll just jump right into the setup. Teenager Tommy Rogers, determined to take down gangster Wolf Lupo, Lupo being Italian for wolf, clever, eh? Enlisted his pals Tubby and Tuffy, Tubby had low self-esteem, to help him bust up Lupo's gang. With their success over Lupo, Tommy and his friends, including the low self-esteem fat one, decided to continue their war against crime, and with the aid of the mysterious Little Miss Redhead, went on to, to, uh, not do much and get overlooked by continuity historians, including the fat kid! Oh, poor Tubby. As a former fat kid, especially in this era as I was just entering high school and about to drop all the weight, leave the fat kids alone. Give them a break. And especially now in this day and age when so many of us are just fat. All right, now let's move on to the next segment. And now it's time to place a call to the Gen 13 line. Yes, it's finally back. Oh, it's been so long since I've been able to cover Gen 13 on the mini episodes here, but this is a very special comic book event, if you will, for me, because we have Gen 13, 13, A, B, and C. Yes, so what they did at this time when they hit the 13th issue of Gen 13 is that they split it up into three smaller sized issues and made it a very fun crossover event. But like holding the individual issue, it is very thin. And they actually gave you a price to match because not only was this the 13th issue of Gen 13, but it only cost you $1.30 American. Okay, so they went all out as far as 
connecting it to the number 13. Now the story inside is especially fun as well because it's all about the team going to a mall and Grunge wanting to get a super limited edition copy of a comic. You actually have the comic book store owner who says, step right up folks, take a good look at it. It's the book you've all been waiting for. That's right, it's the limited edition Captain Pyro Chromium cover and the one and only copy available in the entire city. And the only way to get it is by having the winning ticket. So this guy's holding up this copy that's literally just a shiny cover. There's not even anything on it. It's just the limited edition. Where's Michael when you need him? Captain Pyro Chromium cover. So of course, Grunge is just totally obsessed. He fanboys out and he determines that he is just going to ignore his friends ultimately. And he wants to win, he wants to win, but a super nerd with acne and glasses and braces wins instead. He says, it's mine. <laughs> oh, mine. And it only cost me $80 in tickets. And then you see that Fairchild's been, you know, leafing through some issues while they were waiting. She says, Grunge, I'm glad you brought us here. Some of these independent comics are really interesting. You might want to check them out. Oh, gee, cat, you made me see the light. This alternative stuff is just so much better than the Captain Pyro Chromium. Not. <laughs> so totally 90s. And Grunge is just fuming about this as they go to Big Boy. If you don't know about Bob's Big Boy, it was an old restaurant California chain that was a big deal. And in the bathroom, when he goes to take a break, this guy shows him that he has the copy, but it's a super, like, shady dude, and he says, and all I'll ask for in return, ask away, dude, is your eternal soul. Uh, sure, you got it. And so he gets the issue, he comes out of the bathroom, but as soon as he shows up at the table with his friends, he passes out, and you see he goes into this dream state, and all of a sudden, Roxy is there, free fall, but she looks like Tinkerbell, and so she says she's gonna lead Grudge on this journey, but it's not free fall, it's Tinkerfall. She talks about the land of SA, which is sequential art, like comic book art, and talks about a good witch and the wizard and all this stuff, so they get on to their adventure. Our journey begins here, and he's like, Riverdale, hi! And so he runs into the whole Archie crew, which is super fun. So literally, it's grunge drawn in the classic J. Scott Campbell style, but then the Archie characters are all drawn in that classic style, so he's trying to, like, out eat Jughead, and of course, Betty and Veronica are super hot. He's like, those chicks are fine. So what's the story? Story? Um, we're just friends. Friends? Are you blind? It's actually a really funny thing because they have a panel where Betty and Veronica are drawn in the classic style, and then they're drawn in the J. Scott Campbell style is how Grunge sees them. And the issue ends as Grunge and Tink say, by the way, her name is Tinker Fall. Tinker Fall says we got a boat. See ya, and thanks for all the help. And then you see Archie say, you forgot to warn him about the bad girls. <laughs> so issue 13B is what is promised next. And on the cover of this one, it should be mentioned that the first one was just Gen 13 as a team, a very cool action pose. The second one, though, is Jeff Smith's bone, and they're fighting the rat creatures. So, you know, it's full on. You're saying, oh, okay, so now I get it. This is all going to be crossovers with independent creator-owned comics, which is super fun. And speaking of which, kind of the originals of that, we have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles starting out here. It's as grunge. She's a giant pile of TMNT merchandise. I mean, it's the action figures, it's the video games, it's Pez dispensers, the cereal. Like, it is so much fun. And so he's talking to the turtles, who just happen to all be sitting there in their classic style, where they all have the red bandanas. So give it up. What happened to you guys? Things were chugging along real nice there for a while, you know? Then suddenly we got 86 by the Frenzy Beast and his Power Ranger peons. But at least we got to do three movies. All we want to do now is just be comic book heroes again, like back in the old days. So anyway, I love that, like, meta humor about, oh, the Power Rangers are more popular than the Turtles now, so they're no longer the media juggernaut they were in 1996 as they were in 1987 and beyond. So then, of course, it jumps forward and you see that Jeff Smith's bone is uh, tied to a spit and he is being roasted over a fire by a rat creature. So, of course, Grunge saves him and now they are going to go on a journey. He says, we're looking for the wizard. Some friends told us that we might find him in the valley. I'm headed that way myself. Would you mind some company? If you're cool with Tink, you're cool with me, man. What a long, strange trip this has been. 
So as they continue on through the valley forest there, they run into some characters that I was not familiar with. Like they were super independent. It was Larry Martyr's Bean World. It's only in recent years that I kind of realized who they were. So at the time, this cameo meant nothing to me. But Larry Martyr was also like an executive at Image at this time. So it makes sense they would incorporate his characters in there. But basically, there's just all of these Bean World characters in a fountain. Looks like a bird bath. And Grunge is thirsty. So he takes a drink and then there are all the beans in there and they're talking to him and he spits them out. So it's just real fast. But the funniest thing here, in this next moment, they are up above like this valley that has a kingdom in it. But there's a very obvious top cow farm. It's like a barn, but it's painted black and white. There's like, you know, a cityscape. You see the highbrow logo that was for Eric Larson's deal that's like up on a almost a McDonald's style sign. There's Plus there's one area that is a square and it's empty. So they're obviously entering the different image founders. They call it Image Town, okay? First thing you see is the Savage Dragon is tossing out Wonder Woman and the Hulk. He says, I told you guys for the last time, you gotta have a sense of humor if you want to fit in around here. So my only thought is that John Byrne was writing Wonder Woman and Peter David was writing the Hulk. And since they were pretty critical of Image, I assume that is why he is tossing them out because this whole section is in jokes then they walk by the top cow barn but it's empty and there's a whole fence around it with a sign that says relocated and then you see off in the distance two characters that are very life-filled in these guys have like giant guns giant knives they have you know the shatter star headgear that Liefeld would reuse over and over again it says they can't do this to us they've put a lien on our blood quarters they can't do that to us cow Captain Avenger, that ain't the half of it, Black Frag. The other young Turks, they've kicked us out of Image Land. <laughs> so again, they're 100% commenting on that moment when Liefeld had just been booted from Image. It is so fantastic. The final thing they say is, The Wizard, I bet he's over at the Wildstorm Keep again. He's always hanging out there. This is so extreme. They can't do this to us. Again, just so funny. And the last panel of that Extreme Studios era is you see that there's a bunch of like trash all just kind of piled up and part of it is a bad rock like the giant bad rock statue or costume that Rob Liefeld had. So as they move forward now, they go to this giant castle which is the Wildstorm Studios. You see the DV8 characters, which were a spinoff from Gen 13 that I'm going to be covering on a mini episode one of these days, except that they're all little kids, so like a baby X-Men uh, homage, I'm sure. But then you also have Lynch now is dressed up like Dr. Frankenstein, and he has an assistant who is a hunchback, and his name is Ligor. And when he gets a little bit closer, you see it is Jim Lee, okay, and he's wearing a hat with a Fantastic Four logo on it, and he is holding a candelabra, but it's Burnout, who looks like Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast. This was like the biggest thing for me I remember at the time. I just thought it was so funny that Jim Lee, who was in charge, you know, of Wildstorm and Jet 13 and all that, had himself drawn into the comic as the Hunchback. And Ligor, come on, I mean, that's just a great ego. Gore pun. I, I thought it was fantastic. So he gives Grunge this charm or like jewel thing that's in the shape of an X. And Grunge is like, so what's this? Just a good luck charm I picked up at one of my old gigs. It helped me make me what I am today. Maybe it could help you too. Thanks, Ligor. So where do we go from here? You'll find the answers you seek in the alleyway. Now go before it's too late. So of course, the alleyway leads him to spawn. And he says, so you're looking for the big cheese? Then you're too late, my friend. He's already left for the Darklands to face off with the Frenzy Beast. Grunge is like, you know, I've been meaning to ask someone about this Frenzy Beast. What's that all about? Once upon a time, the wizard created the Frenzy to establish a sense of kinship amongst the fans of S.A. That's sequential art. By helping to enlighten them about their comic book heroes. Unfortunately, the beast soon took on a life of its own and broke away from the wizard's control. It began destroying the land of S.A. and turning the fans away from their beloved heroes. This is tied into Wizard Magazine, okay? This whole story, the wizard they are seeking out, right, is all about Wizard Garib Shavis, about the frenzy beast, the frenzy that the fans got into, worrying about their comic book values and all of those things, which is so wild, okay? 
then Spawn tells him that there is basically going to be someone to guide him on the last half of his journey. He says, of course, only a madman would dare undertake such a quest. And wouldn't you know it, it's Mike Allred's madman as drawn by J. Scott Campbell. So he looks totally not cartoony, but he is there to help out. So we get to the final issue, Gen 13C. Now the cover of this one is kind of like Mallrats, that movie, where it's kind of an homage to Star Wars, where in that case it's Leia kind of like hanging on to Luke's leg and he's looking like a hero. This is grunge holding up that Captain Pyro chromium cover. It's being struck by lightning and all three of the Gen 13 gals are on his leg in bikinis. You know, he's, he's standing atop a pile of comic books. So it's pretty funny here. But the weird thing is, right, they mentioned the bad girls in that first issue. We still have not run into them. So wonder if we'll find them here. Hmm, let's go. So at the beginning of this issue, you have Grunge and Madman walking. He says, look, Madman, I've got to make the trip because this wizard guy is the only one who can get me back to my world. What's your story? Actually, my name is Einstein. Frank Einstein. Please call me me, Frank. Some of my friends are already fighting alongside the wizard against the frenzy beast. The good witch told me that they might need my help, so here I am. As they run into the Max and Jungle Princess, who is no longer Julie. This is a, a new era of the Max, so if you watch the cartoon, it's a different Jungle Princess. But then, wouldn't you know it? Now, this is the, the strange part to me, because they say, uh-oh, Max, it looks as though the frenzy beast has sent the bad girls! So, right in on horseback, you have three very familiar-looking bad girls. The first calls herself Lady Mortem instead of Lady Death, because I guess Brian Polito wasn't playing ball here. So she looks just like Lady Death, but she's all green-tinted instead of white-tinted, okay? And then you have, I assume it's supposed to be Glory from Extreme Studios, although she looks very different, so I think they were trying not to get in trouble with Liefeld, who obviously they were on the outs with. And the other one is Witchblade, and I think think because Mark Silvestri was planning to come back, but he wasn't officially under the image banner at this point, he was not giving them the full license, so they don't like call her by name or anything. It just very obviously is Witchblade. But then you have Lady Mortem about to chop off Grudge's head because she says, Our master seeks the prize you possess. Now gaze upon my face in despair. But she goes down for the death strike, and wouldn't you know it, she, yes, Billy Tucci, she shows up and blocks it, and she is on top of a pink Cadillac being driven by Kachu uh, and Francine from Terry Moore's Strangers in Paradise. So they are there to save the day. But wouldn't you know it, there's just a few more people that gotta make a cameo, and that is Monkey Man and O'Brien by Art Adams and Hellboy by Mike Mignola. So you have the Dark Horse characters crossing over now as well, which is very cool. So the bad girls have all run off, and then this giant red demon, who is the Frenzy Beast, shows up. He's actually got bodies tried to escape from his chest, kind of like Freddy Krueger, if you ever saw the Nightmare on Elm Street films. So Anne O'Brien from Monkey Man O'Brien says, so you're the one the Frenzy Beast is after. That means you're the key to stopping him. But first, we just have to figure out how. Then a few panels down, Hellboy is telling Grunge, remember, the key to defeating him is the chromium cover. But what am I supposed to do with it? Ah, yes. I sense that the tattooed dwarf possesses the prize I seek. Give it to me and you shall have your heart's desire. And this guy, who I assume is supposed to be the wizard, says, no, don't listen to him. Now, I expected him to look like Garib Shavis, but he doesn't. He's just an old grizzled dude with a beard. So I, I really thought it was building up to that back in the day, but that's not where they go. But he just says, enough. If you won't give it to me, I'll simply instruct my zombies to pry it from your lifeless fingers. And the zombies that are climbing out of the ground have Spider-Man t-shirts on, so it's obviously the Marvel zombies. And Monkey Man and O'Brien saying, They're everywhere! Ugh! Acting in unison without a mind of their own! And Hellboy makes one more reminder, We're being overwhelmed! It's up to you, Grunge! No way, Jose! I'm mashing out! Wait, Grunge! Don't be afraid! So yes, you see Caitlin Fairchild show up dressed in a giant pink costume with a crown and a wand, and so she is the good witch. You know, the one strange thing about this I just realized is that there's no Rainmaker cameo in this, or if there is, I did not 
spot it, but you get all the other members of the team. I wonder if it got cut just because they had to keep the issues so small. It's kind of strange here, though, because everything she's doing, they're showing that it's in a sing-songy voice because there's musical notes in all her word balloons. And for some reason, she's telling Grunge that he needs a dose of self-esteem. And so she summons personal empowerment guru Tony Robbins, who was all the rage on infomercials and doing these seminars and stuff. And that is basically how it ends, is he is pitching his seminar. It feels like Jib Lee, like, maybe literally was a Tony Robbins fan, was listening to his tapes or attending his things or something, because it's not, like, mocking him at all. He's just giving him all these positive affirmations. And Grunge says, I'll do it, even if it means battling a horde of mindless zombies all by myself. And says, huh? Ligor's amulet is starting to glow. You got heart, kid, but you better let me take care of him. Whoa, check it out, because after all, I'm the best there is at what I do. So yes, Wolverine, obviously Ghibli, very tight with the Marvel office at this time during Heroes Reborn. He is allowed to get Wolverine in his classic costume, the yellow and the blue, to make a cameo. He has the bone claws, and he is there, but it's strange, because he doesn't really do anything. He says he's there, makes his big appearance, but then you finally have Grunge say, listen up, frenzy beast. I don't know what your game is, but I'm here to shut you down. So he lifts up his comic, and the whole thing he has to do is to rip it up. He has to prove that he doesn't need a super collectible comic to be worth something. So he finally rips it, saying, no mint copy for you. Stop, you fool. Do you have any idea what you've done? Now you'll never get home. Do you hear me? Ah! At least my, at least your collecting days are over. Yow! So yeah, then he wakes up, and it was all a dream, just like the Wizard of Oz, and his friends are there to, you know, pick him up, and he says that he doesn't need the stupid comic book anymore. And the nerd who won at Farad Square from the comic book store says that some jerk stole his Captain Pyro comic, so Grunge returns it to him, and Roxy says, I'm so proud of you, Grunge. I knew you'd do the right thing. You've always been there for me, haven't you, Rox? But I've just been too blind to see it. Huh? What are you doing, Grunge? Something that's been long overdue. And he kisses her. Of all of this just being a big crossover event, of all of this just being kind of a hype and fun book, it actually does have a little bit of character development in the world of Gen 13 because Roxy has been pining over Grunge for all this time and he's been super jerky to her and not recognizing her feelings. So now it looks like he's going to own up to that. So that is the end and I just loved this back in the day. I still love it now. And as I close out here, I just want to say one thing I didn't know existed that I found last year made my heart sore is that there was a collected edition of these issues. So all three issues were back in one comic it has kind of a leather look to the printing it's not like textured or anything it's not an actual gimmick cover but it's gen 13 a b and c and it says wizard jim lee tribute edition it says special edition on the bottom it's the cover to issue 13a and my issue is actually signed by j scott campbell like i found it for cheap on ebay just this person didn't know what they had or didn't care anymore whatever it was but it's strange because the ad inside of this you know there's nothing special it doesn't have any like you know detailed interview or behind the scenes from the creators but it does have an ad for issue 66 of wizard that had a gen 13 cover so it was their second gen 13 cover since issue 44 and so i didn't see anything in issue 66 about a giveaway i don't know how this was distributed but i just think it is so cool that it exists and to have a copy signed by j scott campbell is just a dream come true for me so to have all three single issues of the collected edition pretty fantastic. I hope you enjoyed all the uh, meta look at the world of independent comics at that time and the fun they were having, the expense of some of their former colleagues. But hey, let's get into the final segment.
Before we close up shop here, I wanted to share with you a new feature the wizard has added to this issue, and they do it going forward, which is a guest column. Much like Todd's ego column, this gives various comic book creators a chance to just share something that was on their mind. And in this case, they have Paul Dini, yes, the writer and co-creator of Batman the Animated Series, who if you don't know had a long history just in animation in general before getting that big break, you know, so he was on Masters of the Universe and things like that. But he brings up a fascinating story, something I didn't know existed, okay? He said, A few years back, a major TV network developed an animated Saturday morning series pitting such diverse characters as Wolverine, Storm, Daredevil, and Thor, along with their wacky talking dog sidekicks against a collection of Marvel's most dastardly villains. At that time, the goal of this network was not to present the Marvel characters as they appeared in comics, but to give them a kid-relatable twist that would make them appealing to younger viewers. But comics are kid-related, you say? Nuh-uh, said the network, and to their way of thinking, they were right. When the Marvel Heroes and Dogs show was in the planning stages, Super Friends was the one top-rated program on Saturday morning. This series featured, along with such DC Star Wars Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, a number of comic, teen, and animal sidekicks. At that time, ABC wasn't interested in a superhero show that featured compelling characters and action-packed stories. No, teamwork was the order of the day in the mid-70s, and the Super Friends was chosen by ABC to be a vehicle where well-known superheroes work together to find non-violent solutions to larger-than-life problems. It wasn't the comics by a long shot, but it was what ABC wanted, and more importantly, it scored with their target audience. Given the success of Super Friends, it's only natural that someone would try to duplicate it. Happily, Marvel Heroes and Dogs was put to sleep, and Marvel fans were treated to more faithful versions of their favorite characters when Fox's X-Men, Spider-Man, and other Marvel-based shows appeared in the early 90s. So that's kind of wild, right? That they were going to do a show where the Marvel superheroes had dogs. I mean, we just got super pets, so I guess it was just a matter of time before the idea would come back around in some form. But that, uh, I don't think it would have fit Marvel quite as well as it fits the DC universe. But what Paul Dini goes on to explain here is essentially that, yeah... If you just give your audience, especially kids, the benefit of the doubt that they will enjoy what's going on, they probably will be able to catch on to what you're laying down, even if it's a little bit more mature than just funny dog jokes. But he says here, Sure, you may get lucky with the Super Friends, but chances are fans of Spawn the comic are probably not going to like a toned-down TV version starring Kid Spawn and his wacky pal Malabolgemutt. <laughs> Which is pretty great. But he's talking about, you know, that they really can relate to the struggles of somebody like the thing or peter parker you know the, the fact that a superhero is not perfect in every single way doesn't always make the right choice and of course he says here batman wouldn't have been half the show it was if the artists weren't allowed to take full advantage of the comic's dark look most of the artists working on superman and batman and warner brothers are comic fans and are always looking for new ways to bring a sense of comic book drama to their animation storytelling think about what human emotion drives your hero and you'll get an exciting show and maybe even a successful one but if that's too much trouble there's always crypto and bat hound again here we are in the age of super pets have we regressed i hope not but yeah interesting perspective and interesting bit of history there just that long lost marvel heroes and their pets show just never knew about that well that does it for this edition of wizards half i want to thank you so much for joining me so i could share some more fun from wizard magazine with you man this next issue by the way 64 we have a very fun guest michael and i really had a great time talking to Andrew from the Life Was Peachy podcast. It was a very fun conversation, just a fantastic issue of Wizard in general. So we hope that you will look forward to that. Of course, like I said, you can look forward to the broadcast in multiple forms of our first ever fantasy superhero draft, as well as we had our Halloween costume contest annual video that we did looking at all the cosplay that was sent in to Wizard in 1996. So that's one more thing to cap off your Halloween season with and have some fun make sure that you are subscribed on youtube because we're always releasing new videos over there make sure that you are telling your friends spreading the word and in the meantime keep your books bagged and boarded This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.